0: My name is Ainsley Battles. We're back for a second episode of Jocupationals. Occupation is a noun. It means the match of an athlete's knowledge, education, and experience into a comparative career field. As athletes, we all start a career, our career ends, athletes as we go through our transitions in the dark so part of the thought behind this podcast series and jockey Pationals as a whole and it's to shed light on this process that a lot of us go we handle in the dark so today for me is one of a super special episodes but being in las vegas nevada i'm sitting here with a young man tavaris hogan's we have known each other since we well i started college at 17. I'm going to be 40 this year. That is something that for me is nostalgic because life is a long road, a windy road, but to sit with somebody that we entered this thing together. We're now at a different part in our lives. So I want to welcome Tavares Hogan to the show. Tavares, welcome. Thank you, sir. Please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. What do you want us to know? Well, so it's interesting Uh I started my college career at seventeen as well. Um, you know, my Angelo, she has a saying in a in a poem, she says, We're more alike than unalike. And um when it comes to you and I, we've known each other more than we've not known each other. <laughs> I mean, really
0: like you gotta really think about that. Yeah. You've been in my life longer than everybody except my siblings and my parents. Yeah. Everybody else has come after the fact. So, Tavares, what what high school did you go to?
1: Uh, Walton High School, Defuniac Springs, Florida. De- uh, most often we were a 3A high school. Okay, so Defuniac Springs. Mm-hmm. We know the state of Florida. Yes. We don't know Defuniac Springs. Where would that be located? Uh, it's in the Panhandle. It's almost right in the middle of Tallahassee and Pensacola, the, some of the cities that is closer to, Panama City, Destin, Fort Walton Beach. Those, okay. Uh, uh, crystal sand cities, so to speak. How did you find your way to Vanderbilt
0: University?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> interesting story. I will spare some of the details, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give what's necessary. Um, those that are familiar with the recruiting process, uh, the story will resonate a little bit more, but, uh, like most people that go to Vanderbilt, not everyone, but if you go to Vandy, you you were recruited by a lot of schools. I mean, it's an SEC school, so most other conferences would have loved to have recruited you. I was fortunate enough that uh, I honestly don't remember a school that I didn't get letters or a phone call from. Um, and there was a lot going on throughout my process. Um trying to determine you know what 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 I'll choose to share versus what I don't because I, I understand keeping it real but I I also want to not necessarily protect some of the people that were involved mm-hmm. but I think it's fair to let some people that did some things that they probably regret help them save face um but at the end of the day I think there were people in my life that had personal interest in where I was signing a a letter of intent to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if their personal interests uh, jived with my long-term best interest. So <clears throat> uh, I grew up a Florida fan, I grew up a Gator fan. And throughout the whole recruiting process, I they were one of the strongest schools that were coming after me. I figured I was signed, sealed, and delivered a Gator. Um, Notre Dame was one of the first schools to offer me they offered me my sophomore year um, something happened when I was supposed to take my official visit to Notre Dame where the tickets uh, and I'm using quotes mm-hmm. for the uh, the listening audience the tickets quote unquote didn't show up and that was the first time some weird things started happening um, that year our our, our senior year the Gators played Nebraska in I think the Fiesta Bowl. And Tommy Frazier had a day. Had a day. <laughs> Lawrence Phillips and uh, the guy that was recruiting the Panhandle. I would hear from him, you know, every week. Uh, for some reason, the communication uh, started tapering. Then um, I was second team All-State and. and my senior year uh, Daryl Jackson was first team you know he had an illustrious NFL career career mm-hmm. he, he went, went to Florida um, but <clears throat> after that you know things started tapering off and um, that was another thing that that happened that was kind of weird and then two days before signing date uh, Mickey Andrews the famed Mickey Andrews mm-hmm. uh, defensive backs coach and defensive coordinator of Florida State He came to my high school two days before signing day, and my high school coach wouldn't let me talk to him. Now, at the end of the day, I had over 1,000 yards, 14 touchdowns my senior year, um, uh, decent speed. National letter of intent day, there were three offers that were on the table. I only went on three visits. Obviously, you know, the the opportunity to go on five official visits was Mm -hmm. was, uh, what it was back then. Um, the letters that were available on that day was University of Central Florida, Troy State, and Vanderbilt University. The night before signing date, there was a guy from Troy State that called me. Uh, (laughs) You know the guy, we won't use his name. And I I think he was just doing what, you know, someone told him to do. But uh, we were on the phone for probably a good hour and a half and my parents they weren't involved in the whole recruiting process the whole time they were saying it's your decision it was your decision because I had already committed to Vanderbilt so as long as I was doing what was good with them it was my decision <laughs> Right. so um, that night about one o'clock I got off the phone with this guy and I was having so much pressure to sign with Troy State that I went in my parents room and I said uh, you know what, I'm done. Um, I was told by some people that were very involved in in my process that I owed it to them, number one, to go on a visit to Troy State. I knew I, I felt I wasn't that type athlete. Um, and then uh, I was getting heavily pressured to sign with those guys. So one o'clock in the morning before national signing date, I, I go into my parents' room, turn on the light, and I said, listen, I'm. I'm just going to go to Troy State, you know, and and make everybody happy. I'm done with it. Mind you, you know, my parents, hey, it's your decision. We support you. Whatever you do, you know, we're good with it. Pop said, turn off that light, boy. (laughs) You're going to Vanderbilt. (laughs) So I don't know that you've seen my picture on, on national signing date, but, you know, my coaches are around me. My parents are there, and it's supposed to be a joyous day, and, I just have this somber look on my face because I'm a confused 17-year-old kid. Um, But what I tell anybody, um, Florida, Florida State, Tennessee, Michigan, they all won national championships when when we were in college. If I had to do it all over again, I would sign with Vandy. So, you know, uh, some of the backstory, what was happening in the recruiting process, and why uh, certain people didn't let me talk to certain schools. Uh, All of the SC schools were being told that I was going to Florida. Um, Florida was being told that I was going to Florida State. Like there was a bunch of of conflicting views Mm -hmm. out there and certain people felt that if the options were Troy State, University of Central Florida and Vanderbilt, that other schools other than Vanderbilt had a better opportunity of being chosen and you know what I've learned in my wisdom is uh, as a 17 year old kid yeah you want to go to one of the, the big time schools but again if I had to do it all over again I would have I signed to Vandy I never would have signed at Vandy if an f- offer from Florida, Florida State Auburn, any of those big schools were on the table so these people that thought they were these people that were working in their own interests it mm-hmm it actually worked out for good because they got those offers off the table and 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 cleared the course for me to make the decision that I was supposed to make.
0: Right, and we can go a lot of different directions with that. I know when I was being recruited, my dad had a very, I'm trying to think of the right word. It was an influence, but being a man, right? And being 17, but, but again, we had our fathers in our lives. Mm-hmm. So we weren't necessarily chasing waterfalls, right? No doubt. Our parents had a longer vision as to, this is a great sport, but we wanna set them up for life. Mm-hmm. And so what's really interesting is listening to the the way your recruiting went. Because for me, I was number four on my team. My high school coaches did not push me to be recruited. Perry Fuel saw me on the tape as my coach was trying to push other people. Right. And so part of what I want to ask you is advice for kids in high school, right? Beyond football, Mm because recruiting is recruiting, right? How do you or I guess what was probably the one of the best pieces of advice you could give one of these kids that is in high school here that or anywhere that's being recruited by a lot of big name schools, small schools, what's some advice you could give them to help them make sense of because when you're, you because know, when people are always coming after you and, and gassing you and you're the best and you're this and you're that how do you as a teenager handle this or at least try and work through this to make a lifelong decision unemotionally
1: yeah it's it's extremely difficult man you know the uh, the brain isn't fully developed in males until 25 years old so we don't, we're not even operating with our full capacity of brain power. So it's going to be challenging. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, my advice would be to ask God for serenity, you know, to accept the things you cannot change, mm-hmm. courage to change the things you can, and wisdom to know the difference. Right. Um, you know, there are some kids that I mentor back in uh back in Jacksonville. And it seems like there are always themes going on in my life. And I try to, um, you know, articulate and be transparent um, with some of those things. And, you know, talking about transparency, maybe later in the interview, we'll talk about a moment that you and I had that transitioned me from kind of my fantasy world to being more transparent to people that are around me. Mm -hmm. But one theme that I've been talking about, is courage. And I've had to show courage, uh, you know, on my job and in my own life. And having, having gone through those lessons, I, I don't like to talk to people about things that I hadn't been through. You know, you, you, you have some mm. specialist that hadn't really experienced anything and they right. can't talk passionately about it. So, you know, I understand y- your passion behind doing this show. It's something that you've lived and you've got this knowledge that you want to pass on. Right. Um, but courage is a big thing. Because in life, we're always going to have fears, uh, you, you know, regardless. We can walk around and fool whoever we want to fool, but we know what's going on inside. And courage is being able to face that adversity, you know, when, 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 when you're scared off of your butt. Right. So, you know, courage is something I've been, been talking also lately. Uh, my
0: name is Ainsley Battles. You're listening to Jocupationals. This is a podcast series where we sit down with athletes to really work through the totality of their playing careers from where they began the career and now that it's over so we're sitting here with Tavares Hogan he's just sharing with us really the the beginnings of coming to Vanderbilt and realizing that the recruiting process was not a straight line but uh what I'd like to do now is really get a better understanding of
1: your family right mm-hmm. your mom your dad names what do they do <clears throat> yeah I mean you, you made the statement earlier uh you know we both have our dads in our lives and um uh, I just think a friend of mine, Dale Bars, who who you know very well, he talks about it being a, a hidden advantage. You know, having your father or coming from a two-parent household, it it, it is an, an advantage. Not that you always win. Right. People with the advantage don't always win, right. but it is an advantage. And if you take advantage of it, you know, you're going to have that head start and, you know, you have a great chance to, to finish faster and finish earlier and different things like that. So for me, um... You know, my parents, I think, had some of the same struggles that every family has. You know, um, <clears throat> bills and, you know, we grew up in a day where, um, you know, it was the civil rights era, which was kind of just ending. So, you know, de- dealing with those things. But fortunately, you know, my parents were able to weather the storm. They've been together, I don't know, 30, 40 something years mm. and just seeing you know, what what they've been through and the fight that they've had and looking back on times when they had no money and, you know, we never went without. My dad, you know, he worked at a correctional facility for, you know, almost 30 years. And I remember, you know, every weekend he was home washing cars and taking odd jobs and second jobs just to bring, you know, more money to the table. And um, for me, I remember being four years old and helping him take wax off a car. Probably wasn't doing anything, but I would make a dollar per car. Right. And it didn't teach me um, the value of money, but it taught me to value money. Um, I didn't understand the value of money until college, you know, when you're dealing with larger sums <laughs> of money and people that come from larger sums of right. money. <clears throat> and then it's, it's tough to, to really understand what money can do and, until you have to start paying bills consistently. And until you had that responsibility of managing it. Um, but I worked pretty much since I was four years old, you know, I got my first real job at 14. And I always knew that if I was going to have things, I was going to have to work for it, be it, be it physical things or be it things that, that stand the test of time that, 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 you know, you can't necessarily qualify. Um, so just having both parents, man, was instrumental in, uh, in my growth and development. My dad, George Hogan's, my mom, Sharon Hogan's. Um, I, I lived with my sister, you know, until she graduated, went off to college uh, to call Hogan's. And, um, I mean, all three of them, you know, helped groom the person that I am. Right. So when you look back at your,
0: your upbringing, mm-hmm. what would you probably say would be that What did you take from your upbringing and apply to football? What do you really see as kind of that, man, I use this to help propel me
1: there? Yeah, I mean, I think growing up the way I grew up, I was honestly naive to a lot of things. So the biggest lesson from growing up is getting up and working and seeing my pops You know, work and not to discredit my mom because she worked as well. But, um, you know, she was always in the house doing the motherly thing that doesn't get enough credit. Um, And we always associate the grind with, you know, people that are going out and bringing home the bacon, but we don't give enough credit to the one cooking the bacon. Right. Um, But for me, I don't know that I took a lot into college. College is, is really what transitioned me and made me. I do remember I think it was going into my rising senior year. I remember practicing and you know, if if you're getting recruited by big time schools, you're probably one of the top athletes on, on, on your program. And for whatever reason I didn't have people that could compete with me and make me better on my high school football team. So When we would have one-on-ones or tackling drills or different things like that, if someone was inferior, I would kind of take it easy on them. Not brother-in-law them, but just didn't want to, you know, hurt them or or whatever. Mm. And then I I saw it showing up in my play. So I said, you know what? I'm not doing him any good. Neither am I doing myself any good. And that was a point where I just transitioned and, you know, turned into a quote-unquote beast where i went hard every opportunity that i could because i didn't i didn't want any slack in what was going to show up on friday nights um and then that lesson there transitioned to uh into college and as you know you know my my freshman year i I had had a hernia surgery i started late but i worked myself into the starting lineup and i just i remember eric vance who uh, he, I think he was the biggest safety in the, the SEC. He, uh, he made me a man <laughs> training camp freshman year because I had to go in and dig him out when we were running those tall sweeps. And uh, he was like two twenty-five, mm. and I was a buck ninety, mm-hmm. and e <laughs> still equals m c squared, <laughs> and and he had the m, so right. so I had to bring the c squared. Right, right. Um, but yeah, man, just just that hard work and consistently coming. And uh, if Eric Vance was here today, just like many of the safeties in the SEC, they would say this guy brought it every play.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So again, things. Ainsley Battles, you're listening to The Occupationals. We're, uh, we're talking
0: with Tavares Hogans, uh, fellow Vanderbilt alumni. Uh, just trying to switch gears now. So we've gone from uh, childhood, high school, we've, we've learned why you selected Vanderbilt um, over really all these other options and really it's interesting to learn how other people's agenda actually benefited you much better than you probably could have done it yourself Absolutely. Um, so let's kind of move to vandy right mm-hmm. so you've gone from florida now did, did you drive to nashville did you fly
1: how did you get to training camp your freshman year <clears throat> yeah so um uh, Myself and AJ, I think AJ was the first person there. And then I showed up shortly after. Okay. Um, And six-hour drive from, from the Funiac Springs. Pops put me in the truck. And uh, him and mom, they were ahead of me. And uh, I drove. That that was the longest drive that I had ever driven. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was me <laughs> and, 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 and that Chevy S10. And that was it. Actually, it was a Ford. But, uh, Yeah. They they led me up there, but it, there there wasn't gonna be any uh, switching seats yeah. or any of that. You, yeah. You're driving the whole way. Yeah, because when you come home, guess who's gonna have to drive back? You're coming home. There you go. Yeah, because I can remember when I went
0: up to Vandy for the first time, uh, my dad drove me, and I can remember. Good for you. <laughs> well, we didn't have extra cars in the house, <laughs> uh, but I can remember like that that moment that impact of like literally four months ago you're watching college football now you're about to play college football and for me um and it's kind of through my career just being an emotional player Mm. it just hit me and I can remember just literally crying as we were leaving because I knew like when I'm leaving like because when you go and play college football you're not coming home we'll see you you know when you get a break hopefully
1: if you didn't get hurt maybe game one right so (laughs) so maybe in the fall
0: (laughs) and so for us so i know for me it's like that was that that whoa but i realized you're closing a chapter and you're starting another one so as you kind of go back and you were profound at that age (laughs) (laughs) um so when you go and think back to your your vandy career um because again you played as a freshman because i'll tell people we played against i mean number one overall picks every year yeah we played as hall of famers right every year so playing as a freshman how would you surmise the on the field football and this that maturation process and then the next is the off the field the 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 social
1: life the academic side of vandy yeah hold that second question you're gonna have to remind me of that one no doubt but the on the field the reason I would choose Vandy, and, and not that the other colleges don't have this, but the on the field, the adversity that I faced on the field is nothing short of what I face in corporate America. Um, there were guys that couldn't wear my jock strap that were... The, I started the first game of my freshman year. I didn't start another game that freshman year. Um, the guy that started over me, he didn't play again after our freshman year. Mm-hmm. So, dealing with the type of adversity where you can be the best but you still we're still going to put somebody in front of you that that helps me today so what I did with that going into my sophomore year I said you know what it's not even going to be close that's just the rules of engagement we know that mm-hmm. I didn't understand that then because I, I was a top player coming from my high school team right. I knew I was better than this cat but I wasn't getting the opportunities to show that because there was another agenda. So going into my sophomore year, we're going to remove that agenda. You you were there. I mean, every year it was let's recruit the next person to, to replace this guy. And similar to the people in my life in high school that made me make the right decision, all they were doing was fueling me and making me better right. and better and better and better. Because it got to a point where I decided I was gonna take my play to a level where it was just gonna be blatantly not possible for them not to play me. Mm-hmm. Right. Receivers are, are are quote unquote divas by nature. Mm-hmm. Guys that produce, there's gonna be something that comes along with it. The coaches that we had at Vanderbilt, they weren't equipped to, to deal with that. So the way they deal with it is they try to silence it. And we'll, 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 we'll bring that full circle also because I know you asked about my hair. Um, right now today, there are, there are some people that are trying to silence some things that's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And socially, I'm having to stand out and speak out on some things in some different ways. But from a, from a football standpoint, it continued to make me better and make me grind and continue to sharpen the ax. The ax which is the same way that I have to do in corporate America. From a social standpoint, um, my freshman year I I struggled because in high school I was part of a program that we we turned the losing program around into a winning program. We hadn't been to the playoffs in over 10 years. And the losing, the losing wasn't so much a problem. I think it was the way that we handled it. From, from players to coaches, but you got to understand, we're 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. As much as we want to say we were men, there may have been a couple of men on that team, <laughs> but there weren't more than two or three. Right. Uh, an organization is going to take the shape of its, its leader. And if the leader cares, the organization is going to care, the players are going to care. Um, I just don't know that the coaches had a, a, a desire to win. So... My freshman year was 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 tough number 1 because he got the starts, he got the opportunities. I got the peanuts and had to make the best of it, which I did a better job with less, but it was it was tough. And I guess if I go back to you know seeing my parents work out their relationship and work out paying paying bills and work out different things in my childhood, I knew leaving was not an opportunity. Now <clears throat> back to back to my recruiting story when i had those 3 offers on the table there are always teams that think they're going to get a certain player and they go somewhere else so they have another scholarship available i knew if i would have if i waited a day that one of the big schools would have had a scholarship available but i didn't i didn't want to chance that and i didn't want to show vanderbilt that i wasn't committed and at the end of the day, I was more committed to Vanderbilt, I believe, than Vanderbilt was committed to me. But from a business standpoint, um, it's like this there's, there's, there's something that Vanderbilt has given me. If what I'm giving them is equal and offsets it, then both parties should be happy. So it became, I didn't realize it at that point, but it was a business deal. Right,
0: right. I mean, it's an, it's an even exchange.
1: And, and and what I see today, and especially
0: when I was coaching in, in high school, a lot of kids are like, hey, I want to go to school, go to school. And I had to tell the kids, it's like, wait a second. Are you interviewing the school back? Because school knows you. Mm. What do you know? What do you want from that school? And they look all perplexed like this is a privilege to play college football. It's a privilege to play at this fill in the blank school. <laughs> And then a couple years into it, they start to realize the business side okay. of it. And so it's interesting just to hear from you, the the balance, right. it's a give and a take. Absolutely. And the fact that you don't know what you want is not their problem. They're, what their agenda is, they want the best athletes. Mm-hmm. And if you fit them, they'll take you. Now you gotta make sure they fit you. Right. So as we go through um, playing ball, um, we're getting to that, that that senior year and so for me that's is really even though 39 right we graduate our last playing year at, at vandy was 1999 it's 2018 i look back on that five and six season where we had five weeks to win one game mm-hmm. to literally do the impossible and so if you don't know back in 99 uh, at vanderbilt the last winning season at, at Vanderbilt University, when we were there, was 1982. That was the last year. So we're talking about over 20 years. So we both had the same ambitions of wanting to change a program. Mm-hmm. And we were literally at that door. We we're at the doorstep. I remember the Kentucky game, the Georgia game, the fake punt call, the Tennessee game. I, I mean, these are heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about senior year. Now that this is kind of the the culmination, right, we can see the lights at the end of the tunnel. What was that senior year like for you?
1: Do you remember the LSU game our sophomore year? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give the listeners a snapshot of the LSU game that we're talking about. Um, at that point in Ainsley and I's career, we were a defensive-driven, a defensive-led team. And, listen, the defense held LSU, That ha- a team that has – first-rounders, you know, people with Super Bowl rings. Mm-hmm. M- they may not have Hall of Famers, but they'll have people on Hall of Fame ballots.
0: Alan Fanica's a Hall of Famer.
1: <clears throat> Hall of Famers and people that have been mm-hmm. on Hall of Fame ballots. Yeah. Held them to seven points the the, the entire game. The last drive, uh, we're going down. We actually scored a touchdown with, you know, less than a minute left. Mm-hmm. So it's it's seven to 6 we go in on, on, on our end. If it's seven to six and you're at home, the books say play for overtime at home. But we were in no position to to extend the game. We had an opportunity to win. Right. We gotta try to win now. My thinking, Battles, you've, you've, you've coached, I've head coached. Um, since then, Bill Belichick never unprepared for any situation. Mm-hmm looking back on it, we were unprepared. We didn't have a play ready. We get a delay a game. Timeout. We go to the sideline. We're hemming and hawing about the play. We then get another delay a game. So now we want to send the field goal unit out and we're backed up. It's probably a 35-yard field goal at this point. It's it's an NFL extra point now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, LSU blocks the extra point and we lose 7-6. Mm-hmm. So for me... To start out four and zero, our senior year, and then to go to five and one, and to your point, have five weeks to get one win, I just think it was a lack of preparation on on the coach's standpoint. And um, I've just you know I've got to call out bad coaching when when I see bad coaching, and right. having been on that side of the uh, of the play sheet, it was bad coaching. Right, right. So, uh, name is Ainsley Battles. you listen to Jockeypationals.
0: Speaking with Tavares Hogan's. Again, we've known each other since we were 17 years old. So we're talking about this ending up our senior year where we went five and six. We had, a, we had five weeks to win one football game that we could not do. So we ended yet another year at Vandy with a losing record. Um, now, moving from graduation, football is over, moving to that next step, that next phase of life. What happened? What happened after Vandy?
1: Yeah, so um, I've always been a type of athlete to test well. So, you know, we had NFL tryouts, and uh, I tested well, but uh, this is where I think my upbringing kind of bit me because I wasn't hungry enough. Um, Going into my senior year, I I actually uh, I pledged my senior year, so I was online during football season, um, and still tore it up. Uh, <clears throat> but after that, everybody was talking to me about the NFL. Oh, you played your way into the NFL, and I and, and I very easily could have and should have. There there were guys that I have on my highlight tape now mm-hmm. that have Super Bowl rings. That you know I, I had them spinning circles. You know it was fun back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I wasn't focused. Um, you know, I, I was partying a little bit after my senior year, you know, my numbers looked good. I had accolades, people knew my name, all of that good stuff. And um, you know, for lack of a better term, I was I was reading the pr- the press clippings. Um <clears throat> so after college, um you know, draft day comes and yeah, you know, I, I knew I wouldn't be a a day one guy, but you know we've mm-hmm. all we've all seen crazy things. Right, we're sitting there watching. You know, watch no, every pick. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> nobody's gonna say they're not. Right. Um, because you're like, listen, the Bills may do anything right now. Right. You know, right. <laughs> the the Eagles, they're just not telling anybody. Right. Um, so you're watching, and uh, you know, your family's hopeful because everybody's in fantasy land about what the NFL is and they don't really know what it is and at that point I'm in, I'm in fantasy land also and I'm treating it more like a dream versus a goal or an ambition um I'm not all in I'm doing I'm doing enough to make it look sexy but I didn't have the character that I needed behind my workouts. Mm. I was a character person, but my workouts didn't have character. Um so day two comes and um, you know, it gets to the fourth round and you know the round starts speeding up. And you're like, okay, fifth round is possible. Um, you know, y- you hear some teams could be interested in the uh in 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 the sixth round. So sixth round comes. And uh, the, the, six, the the late rounds aren't advertised at that point. So I was, um, it, it wasn't on regular cable. I had to go to a friend's house, one of my dad's friends that had uh, a satellite mm-hmm. to try to find it. So right. we're scrambling, you know, late fifth round, trying to keep the phone on just in case somebody calls. Because mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if I see it on TV. I just need to make sure I've got these bars on my phone. Right. Um, six round commences, um, and there's a little bit of, uh, uh, a little bit of somber mood, but you know, the phone rings shortly after and I have my thoughts about where I would like to sign or where I, where I would sign. <clears throat> but my agent at the time he calls and he says he already has a deal for me in Tampa, um, and Tampa is cool, but I knew it was gonna be challenging for me to make that team, you know, with with some of the receivers that they had down there. Um the team that I wanted to go to was was Carolina. I figured um huh. they they could have used, you know, my skill set at that point in time and then they, they went to a Super Bowl shortly after. So yeah. wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um But nonetheless, um went down there and did that. And Tampa was a young team, so it wasn't being a florida boy and kind of flamboyant and having that flashy attitude i wasn't mature enough the brain still wasn't fully developed and it was a young team full of other guys whose brains weren't fully developed and they had a lot of money mm-hmm. um so i just I, I wasn't fully focused um i had a great uh i had a great mini camp um had a great uh summer camp off-season workouts all that was good like i mean i was on the radar you know tearing it up Mm -hmm. there was a little break between you know summer workouts where you can go home and and work out and it wasn't quite the business that it should have been for me so that period of time where i didn't have my peer group to work out with i didn't work out the way i needed to Mm -hmm. work out um I jogged a little bit. I ran routes. I ran sprints, but that's not going to get it for 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 a professional franchise. Um, so we get back to uh, to camp, and I remember it like yesterday. You know, we're running a lot of teams. They you know they practice special teams. You know before they break up offense defense. So we're out there running teams, and it's kickoff cover. And, uh, you know, the guy that always gets called out is the guy that makes it down there first. And, you know, listen, Tampa had a lot of fast guys. Yes. Riddell, Andy, Jacquez, Green, uh, Shevin Smith, all of those guys. Mm-hmm. But I was the first one down mm-hmm. most often. So, um, you know, we're running teams and it's kickoff coverage. I run down and I feel a, I feel a little pull in my hamstring. And... Um, I I kind of nursed it a little bit, but I was still going hard. I was still going to that level that I was going at my freshman year in college, believing that the hardest worker is the guy that makes the team. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, we're doing one-on-one, and I run an out route. Out route. <clears throat> Sean King throws it a little bit out of my reach. I dive for it. as Soon as I stretch out, hamstring tears. Um, <clears throat> and you know, the lesson that I learned from that, and I tell uh, not just college people, um, definitely people that are transitioning from college to the NFL. You know, there's a saying that you can't make the club in the tub. Mm-hmm. But in uh, the next one, your best ability is availability. The guys that make the team are the guys that are still standing. right? Because there are so many people that get hurt. All you have to do is survive right. and don't get hurt and there's a great chance that you're gonna be on the NFL roster if, if if you have the the talent. So, you know, for me, a lot of my boys, they still have problems, uh, and, and that pretty much ended my career. I had some other tryouts, you know, I was in a couple other leagues, but that was it from, a, from an NFL standpoint. Right. Um, and my friends, they still have issues with it because, you know, the, there are some guys that had great careers that I was killing on tape in college. Um, but a couple years after, and it was, it was definitely a tough pill for me to swallow seeing some of those guys that I'm like, man, I was killing him in college. right? Um, but <clears throat> I knew the responsibility and everything that came with being an NFL player, I wasn't ready for it. Like if I would have made an NFL team, I wouldn't be having this interview today. Like I literally would have killed myself because of my immaturity, my you know flamboyance, and and all of that, yeah. you know, God knew like I'm gonna give him a taste of mm-hmm. it, but I'm gonna take this away, you know, so he can survive and, right. and and tell other people this story. So, right, right, you know, that's that that that's that in a nutshell. Like I said, I had a couple other tryouts, but right. that wasn't for me right right and again we're
0: just talking about the serendipity and just kind of like the way the world operates my career came to an end hamstring same one which one left right uh, right. I still okay. have
1: problems with it today. Left, me too. Like, like <laughs> if I sit on it too long. Right now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it, gonna it'll talk to, to you. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: My oh, knee yeah. talks when it when it's about to rain. <laughs> uh, my name's Ainsley Battles. You listen to JOccupationals. Um, again, JOccupation. Uh, it's the match of an athlete's knowledge, education, and experience to a comparative career field. Uh, this is JOccupationals. This is our second episode. we we've been blessed to have Tavares Hogan sit with us. We've gone through upbringing, college, uh, National life. Um, So, what I want to do right now is kind of switch gears for a little bit, Uh, because as we get older, our understanding actually turns to comprehension. To where the things you thought you knew, the older you get, you really start to know. So, what I want to do is I have a couple of words, and just want to see what your definition for these words are. Okay, there's no right or wrong answer; it's just yours. So, I'll just
1: give you the word, and you give me what that word means. team team so team is something that i preach in all aspects of my life um you know one of the most important in an area that i'm growing is i talked to my wife about team um and i'm fortunate to have been a part of a team um at work i never have challenges working with people because i've always been i've always known that I can't win a football game with just me. We can't be the best organization with just me. Um, Unfortunately, our wives and girlfriends and spouses, sometimes they don't have that same experience. And I think we're all selfish by nature. So team helps me be more supportive when I don't get my way. When somebody else's number gets called in that clutch situation, when I don't, when, when, you know, I'll make it as simple as when, I don't get to choose the restaurant or we don't go with the paint color that i liked Mm -hmm. it has got to be about team so that's what team means to me okay it it was was that explanation too long-winded
0: no definitely not i went to vandy i appreciate a good answer
1: (laughs) i was also a high school teacher so
0: (laughs) i actually understood everything you told me (laughs)
1: uh family family man um you know that's a great word uh, to follow up after team Mm because <clears throat> i've always treated a team like family right. and there are going to be people that you don't get along with on the team mm-hmm. there to be family members that you don't get along with but they're still family right they're still on the team it's it's interesting i'll be in conversations and uh somebody will say something about one of my teammates and you know like if i'm saying something like oh man you know, so and so couldn't tackle, and be like, "Yeah, you're right, he can't." I'm like, "Wait, hold on." Right. Uh, <laughs> I can say he can't tackle. I was there with him. I went through what he went through. You know, watch yourself. You, right. You, you didn't earn the right. Right. So, you know, family is family, regardless of circumstances. Um, you know, you you are gonna you, you're gonna love team and you're gonna love family. What does it mean to win, man? <clears throat> So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna transition. I guess we're gonna transition my my mood in the interview. Um, I like to think of myself as more of a philosopher mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, the wife and I we actually just went on a trip to uh, to Greece and. I bought a book on Greek mythology, which you know I'm not crazy about. Mythology, the word, number one. Um, <clears throat> but I've done some research on Greek philosophers also. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you talk about winning, for me, I can't define it uh, in a short term sense. You know, if we're talking about sports, having the most points at the end of the game, yeah, that's a win, but for me the game is so much bigger than what's on the scoreboard. Um, one of our classmates, Lamont Turner, he has a book called "Winning Beyond the Scoreboard." Right. So when I think about winning, for me, it's totality. It's what was the what was the effect of the result? Because you can lose and still win. So for me, winning is about continuing to set yourself up for ongoing long term success that's winning so what would the difference be
0: between winning and success
1: the difference between winning and success so honestly I think success is subjective success to one person is going to be different than, than another person You know, we we can make winning black and white, but if you're a philosopher, winning for me is gonna be more long-term. So there are people that went to some of these sexy colleges Mm -hmm. and they won at 17, 18, 19, 20, but they're no longer winning. So um, for me, uh, again, And don't hold me to this definition, but this is my interview definition of winning, um, continuing to set yourself up for long-term success. So to answer the question, the difference between winning and success, winning, success is a byproduct of winning. Winning is more of a a, a one-time thing where success is an ongoing thing. Okay. What would the difference, or is there a difference between losing and failure? <clears throat> I mean, losing and failure. Yeah, so you know, similar to similar to uh, the black and white definition, um, I think losing. I don't know that losing has any long-term uh, connotations, like a loss is tangible Um, but I guess you can always spin a loss but for me if you're spinning that loss then it turns kind of into that success model Um, what was the question again what's the
0: difference between losing and failure because we just parsed out winning and success because these are the words that a lot of us use all the time but what are we really saying how do we really unpack these words to really discover what's
1: going on yeah, so there's a there's a company that, that talks about words similar to these, and they call them green words. And green words are words that mean different things to different people. Mm. So, you know, we can go out and say we're going to have a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Well, to your point, what is that? Right. Because success this season could be, you know, six and six. But success to somebody else could have been, you know, eight and four. Um, so it's another one of those quote unquote green words it's a subjective term Mm -hmm. Um, but for me I'll I'll define it for me failure failure would be basically not trying Um, in in my opinion the only way you can fail is when you know when when time is up and you have given up Um, so I would equate failing with you know with, with something more long term, long term. And the verdict wouldn't be out on failure until there's a true end or you've given up.
0: Okay. Switch gears again. Being a Vanderbilt guy I know you can appreciate just being on your toes and if we had a time machine mm. go back in time. We're going to go back to your bedroom Thursday night before the first game of your senior year in high school if you could go back in time and you had 10 minutes with you you know like Scrooge right with the uh, Christmas story and stuff right you could literally go back and go sit in that room and you laid up in that bed because I don't know for my coach it was always about you visualize the game right if you could go back for 10 minutes knowing what you know now
1: what would you tell yourself so the the tough thing about that is I had a lot of success in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's hard to say that I, I would tell myself or say anything different. One thing that um, I probably displayed it, but if I would have been a little bit more intentional about these things, I think I I would have been um, a lot more successful. And I could have affected more people, and the team could have had success. But there are two terms that I like to articulate with sports and with life, and it's <clears throat> attitude and effort. Um, so what I would tell myself is, <clears throat> and I always was a competitor, um, but there's a difference between competing and in, in, in effort. Right. Um, <clears throat> but uh, when I was coaching, I wanted my guys to be number one in attitude first and foremost that's not on the scoreboard right but we better win with attitude and then we want to be number one in effort so i would tell myself that and then i would preach that to the rest of the team
0: okay what can athletes learn from (laughs) non-athletes
1: man a lot i mean for me Mm -hmm. it was uh it was the value of a dollar. <laughs> you know, you, you, you go to college with classmates that are already in business. Right. Like, how, do, how are you running a business and you're in college? Right. Like, right. How, how, in are 18. Right. How, how do you have time for that? Right.
0: Right. And just, I'm sorry, and just for the listeners, we are not embellishing. We went to school uh-huh. with kids getting an undergrad that already owned a company, yeah
1: um but yeah, I mean uh y- you know what can you learn? You can learn any and everything you know we we're always learning, we're continuously learning um and sports teach you a lot, but they don't teach you everything, right, so you know <clears throat> there are non athletes uh, that can relate to a lot of sports stories and, and they enjoy it and they see it. But there's a lot of life that, you know, we weren't exposed to because, you know, we were perfecting our craft mm-hmm. craft. Um so corporately, how to conduct yourself and do different things like that, that's that's just one of many things that you can learn from from non-athletes. Right. As you look back on
0: sports, and, and it's great that you had different vantage points, being a player, being a coach What do you think the best lesson you learned? Oh, no, not the best lesson you learned. What was the best lesson
1: football taught you? Just dealing with adversity. I mean, for me, that's a no-brainer. I I appreciate the adversity that I had to deal with, starting with uh, right on the heels of my success. So in high school everybody's having a lot of success. And then I had immediate adversity with, with uh, my recruiting process Mm -hmm. and going through it my freshman year. And it just happened and it continued to happen and continued to happen. So we can either count these losses and count it a failure, or we can continue to to compete and, and have a positive attitude and give good effort and ultimately end up successful continuously win and be successful so you know um I uh, right now I'm coaching a, not coaching uh, I guess we can call it coaching but I'm teaching a Sunday school class at my church mm-hmm. and the uh director says regardless of what happens we're just going to continue to show up and that's that's what football you know that's what sports showed me is to continue to show up and I've never seen anywhere in life where you can continuously do good things and the right things and bad things happen. So if you can continuously repeat good and the right behavior, you're gonna have good results. Right. Looking
0: back over your career, really not even your career, your life, what advice would you give that athlete that's sitting at that crossroads? sitting knowing that this one part of me is going is literally is going to die this will not exist anymore me with this jersey on with this helmet with this really my space is no longer going to be how do you what advice would you give that 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 athlete guy or
1: girl to help make sense of what's going on so it would be it would be different information at different levels what i would Say to a high school athlete would be different from a free agent, or okay. Um, let's take it. I, take them all at a time, yeah, please. So you threw like four scenarios. at <laughs> I do that.
0: So let's start with high school. The kid, because it's a weeding out process. We know that, and and getting to the NFL doesn't necessarily mean you're the best player. Mm-hmm. It might have just been the best situation. Okay. So as we hit that first that first cut, let's call it the high school. What do you tell that kid that's in high school? It's like it, you're done. Like this
1: isn't gonna happen for you on that college level? So, um, first and foremost, I'm gonna let my philosophy kick back in. There you go. Um, In my recent training days, I've learned that people don't like to be told what to do, and they don't like to be advised. So, uh, I'm reluctant to give advice, and I don't, I'd say I don't give advice anymore. Mm-hmm. what i will do is give information.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And then you choose to do what it right. do with it what you wish. Right. So the information that i would give this kid is <clears throat> listen, you're lo- you're young. There are loads of opportunities out there. Opportunities that you don't even have a clue about. Make sure you put your best effort out there and your best attitude out there and Regardless of what happens, make sure you have no regrets. So, if it's Mm -hmm. playing college football, if it's doing X, if it's doing Y, if it's doing Z, just make sure you have no regrets and do what you can do and put it in somebody else's hands. Okay. The college athlete. Because now you've got a lot more (laughs) invested. You're on a,
0: not the highest stage, but you're, you know, if you're in the big four conferences where they've seen you on TV, you're coming down from a little higher of a pedestal. So what's the scenario? Career. Like, you realize, like, at this point, no agent even wants to sign you. And you're like, hey, you know, I played, I I have some stats. And agents are like, look, you're not on anybody's book. You're not on anybody's boards. So
1: it's done. Right. And that's, that's the toughest part. That's one of the toughest times because, you know, I go back to this brain thing. You know, the brain is still not fully developed. And mm-hmm. society tells people at 18 you're a man right. and you're not close. Right. So we now have this college degree. We should have a great job. We should be mature. We should be doing things that men do. And it, And we're not. We're still acting like a kid. We're still, you know, mm-hmm. doing these childish things. And society is saying, what's wrong with you? Opposed to saying give as opposed to giving these kids space to grow up so i would say listen the 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 most difficult process is about to start that transition process um the information i would give is get busy doing good things and the right things and and as much of that as you can do something will reveal itself so mm-hmm put yourself in the gym get yourself on a schedule one of the most difficult things is not having that schedule right as an athlete you're told where to be what time to be there what to do you don't have to think right now we have to think right and and that's why you know the idle mind is a devil's playground that's why we get into all this trouble mm-hmm. because we have all this free time where before we we're at practice we we're watching film we don't have time to do anything mm-hmm. so Block up your time with, with with positive things. Okay. And then
0: the third, the professional, be it one year, one training camp. Because when you sign that NFL contract, you're in the NFL. No doubt. You've that's the dream. Like in that instant. I played football when I was nine. When you sign that contract, you're in. Mm-hmm. What would you tell that guy? This is Ainsley Battles. You're listening to Jocupationals. Uh, we're sitting here with Tavares Hogans, uh, really just rounding out this, um, for me, a very special time to be able to sit with somebody that have uh, bled with, have broken bread with, have won with, have lost with. Uh, and now that our playing days are over, we're men. And we've got families. Some of us have kids, we have wives. Um, tell me about where you're at now. What are you doing? For a living, the wife. Because I know you got married in Cayman Islands, mm-hmm. so it, it, still flamboyant. I see, like, <laughs> that's where she was from. That's, that's I don't t- speak Spanish. I typically, how it anymore. goes. Just for the record.
1: Sure, but so, so where you at? What are you doing? Um, <clears throat> I'm actually less flamboyant. I'm uh, emotionally intelligent now. You know, I'm aware of. Uh, I'm aware of uh, some of my shortcomings. But uh, I, uh, you know, similar to yourself, turned forty this year, um, in August, and I'm uh, I'm actually in a tra- transition phase in my life, um, where I'm looking at this next chapter, and um, trying to decide if I'm going to continue to let uh, corporate America fatten me, uh, because you know the way my company works. They're only gonna pay you so much, but they're gonna pay you right there where you have to question mm-hmm. you know whether or not you wanna leave and then, you know, some of the benefits and different things are good. Um, but I'm I'm going through a phase where it's it's bigger than me, it's about team, it's about family. And I think some of the moves that I'm going to make in the next ten years, other people are gonna be watching. And I'm hoping I can inspire uh I'm gonna say a generation to come, but uh, you know, I'm 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 not thinking I'm going to shock the world. But I do have an audience of guys that I mentor and people that mm. look to me and I wanna make sure that my preachings line up with where my feet are going. So um just looking at what I'm going to do. With this second half of my life, they say the average uh, life expectancy of mm-hmm. a of a male is seventy two years old. That being said, we're well into the second half. Yeah, we're in the third quarter right now. <clears throat> so you know uh, we've been doing a decent job of, of living longer. So you know hopefully we'll get some overtime, mm-hmm. but if it expires at the end of the fourth quarter, right. then you know I've got close to thirty two left. So. Mm-hmm. I've had 40. What am I going to do with the next 40, so to speak? Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not going to do the same things that I've been doing regardless of what the outcome looks like. Like I'm no longer interested in just chasing a check to get a bigger house or a bigger car or more of this or more of that because I'm at a point where I have enough. Where I'm going, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've got some things – in the can. I'm Mm. I'm hearing that terminology. There you go. (laughs) I've got some things in the can. Um, But uh, to finish off the last point that we were going to make about um, someone transitioning, what I coach people on nowadays is uh, finding out what your gift is and doing what you're gifted to do. And when I talk to people about gifts, I tell people whatever your gift is, the world is going to make room for it. But whatever your gift is, it's not for you. Mm. It's for somebody else. So if you can find what that gift is for somebody else, who or whomever else is going to keep you sustainable. Right, right. So. Listen, I'm gonna be a philosopher for the rest for the the rest of it. (laughs) Hey,
0: man! And the funny thing is, uh, because I I used to teach U.S. history and world history, so Socrates, right? The unexamined life isn't worth living, yeah, right? And and so it's just funny how yeah, life kind of comes full circle. Uh, So as we're kind of wrapping this up, uh, first we we tremendously appreciate your time. It's Always good seeing right. Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Because uh, you live in Jacksonville, we're out in Las Vegas, so this is literally two thousand two hundred twenty-eight miles. Because I made the, <laughs> I had to move out here. Yes, we did this, but it's it's great to see that it doesn't matter how much time goes by, how much distance goes by, and it's really to your point. It's not about more. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Mm-hmm. And when you have quality, and especially like our relationship, quality relationships, mm-hmm. we don't have to talk every day. Right. I don't have that much to talk about, to be honest with you. No. But when we do talk, we know we're gonna sit down and like like Jerry was saying, you're going over, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like that's we haven't sat down and rapped like this in a minute. Right. right? Yes. Since we
1: came out here. And so yeah. that's we're, kind just, of, we're just doing this
0: live. Right, right. We're <laughs> just letting all of you listen to what we <laughs> normally would do. But I think uh, on a lot of levels, one, our paths have been similar, but still different. Hmm. Our upbringings were similar but still different, mm-hmm. but it's, for me, what is so encouraging and, and, and renewing within myself is to know that it doesn't really matter, because we're all in the same game together. We're all doing, we're all playing to our own strengths and realizing, like you said, there's space for everybody, yes. and when you win, there's enough to go around, mm-hmm. and it still, for me, still deepens the relationship to realize what, what we put into this sport, what we put into Dudley Field, just nearly drive. Mm-hmm. Our blood is in the soil. It no doesn't matter how many turfs or how many times they want to redo that stadium. We have a right to that mm-hmm. because we helped that be what it is today because of what we did 20 years ago what others did 20 years before us, which mm-hmm. is part of what we're part of. So kind of in closing, I don't want to say how do you want to be remembered? Because I, 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 it's not, it's more, at this juncture of your life, we take it as a snapshot. How, What is your message? What is, so when we go to listen to this 10 years from now,
1: Yeah. what did you want to say? So, first off, I willed you to that question because I didn't want to talk about the future. The future Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. So many people get caught up in, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and the future never happens. Um, The past is what it is. It's documented. We can can go back and see that. So, um, what we can change and what we can affect is right now. So, Mm -hmm. thank you for asking that. And I'll go back to, I don't know who started this, but I think... uh, Uh, Tom Coughlin is going to get the credit. But I was in Gainesville, and this is when this statement uh, really resonated, and I've been using it. But uh, Vanderbilt was getting ready to play Florida, and I went to Chapel the Friday night before the, uh, the Saturday game. And Mason was addressing the team. And this was the second or third time I heard him say, Be where your feet are. Mm. He was addressing the team and he said, Be where your feet are. And I said, You know what? So many times in life, we're spending time with our wives, but we're at work. We're at work, but we're thinking about home. We're hanging out with loved ones, but we're not even present. So now, more so than anything, I'm just trying to be where my feet are. If I'm in Vegas, My phone could be blowing off the hook. I'm going to be in Vegas. If I'm hanging out with the kids, I could have loads of other responsibility. I'm going to be with the kids. So I'm just trying to put everything into where I am at the moment, and I'm just going to be where my feet are.
0: Man, we appreciate it. Tavoris, man, hey, we love you.
1: Love you too, boss. Yeah.
0: Men, man love. We do, man. Hey, Because, again, I could not be half of who I am without you, no to be doubt. honest, man. I Likewise. mean, the ups, downs, the tears of joy and sorrow, the the totality, the, the <laughs> waking up at 4 a.m. in Tampa to get back to Jacksonville.
1: <laughs> yeah, let me interrupt you before we wrap up because I alluded to this earlier, yeah. and I just want to get the, this story on the record because I talked about um, how you helped me in one aspect of my life. Uh, just one that I care to share because we were kind of right. encroaching that topic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I talk about being transparent with the kids right. um, that I mentor and coach and different things, I know in college and a lot of times in life it's about smoke and mirrors, you know, fake it till you make it and all mm-hmm. of that. And sometimes you do have to do that. But with people, you know, that you love and you care about and you can affect, um, faking it does them no good and I remember in college I would I would walk around with a briefcase nothing in it (laughs) and you know for a lot of people it was giving that impression um that I wanted to give off but I was keeping that same persona with my boys who knew Mm. and um you know I don't I think it was uh, you had to be in Jacksonville at this time but we had a conversation and I don't know what you were going through at the time, but I know at that time in my life, I had been taught toughness and all of this, and I would never show, I would never crack. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what was going on, you would never know it. And to people that were important to me, I was giving off the impression that I never went through anything. So um, I had people looking at me like, man, this guy, you know, I know I'm, the the statement, and this is probably not word for word, but what resonates, what resonate, re- resonated then, and what I'm recalling is you saying, you know, I'm over here going through hell, and you're looking like everything's all together, like you never go through anything. <clears throat> and at that point, point in my life, I was like, you know what? I've got to be more transparent with my boys, and quit putting on this image and this facade like everything is great because again we talk about people should be men when they're 18 and they're not they start thinking they're less than so when mm-hmm. people look at me like man he's he's got it all together and I really don't have it all together yeah. I'm short people so um you know that was a that was one of the many rings in my ladder that you that you put in there that I can uh, hang on to man so I just wanted to articulate that man let you know I appreciate it
0: oh man anytime i i tell you, I was going through something. (laughs) But I tell you what, man, if we just keep this going and and being very transparent and honest, I was a lot like you. And A.J. McGrew is the one that helped me be able to look at my darkest hour Mm -hmm. and laugh. And at the time, I didn't appreciate it. The older I got, that, so he was my example Mm -hmm. because I was the same you're all American, you're this, you're that, oh, you can't, la- and he's over here like, look, man, I had to go talk to somebody, <laughs> right? right? And I'm not gonna put too much of his stuff out, yeah. but again, it was a thing of him being able to laugh at what's going on, and that helped me say, you know what, you can relax. Yeah. It's gonna be okay, man. So only thing I would say is, you're welcome, man, because again, I've learned so much from you as well, mm-hmm. man, just from the way you carry yourself and that the demeanor right. that's there, because I like the play, I like the joking around, but mm-hmm. the older I get, you're like, hey, you know what, everybody don't wanna play with you. Right. So, why don't you get some work done? Um, but again, man, I, I really do appreciate the the time, the honesty, man. And, and now literally being able to record this because right. this is something when my daughters get older, when right. your future kids get grown, be like, no, 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 hey, just pop this one in. Right. To be able to leave these legacies, these conversations behind, because I think there's a lot in here that we don't even get because we're too close to it mm-hmm. that I hope will Pour into somebody else's life. Um, do you have any parting words? Anything else you want to?
1: Nah, man. Listen, be 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 where your feet are. Be yeah. present and yeah. give people the value that they deserve. You know, when you're in their presence, be where your feet are.
0: Oh man, I, I appreciate this. Uh, well, a special thank you to Jerry R. Smith for opening in the studio and for coaching me up and helping me refine my craft as I'm trying something uh, trying something new. But uh, again, my name is Ainsley Battles. Uh, you listen to This is a podcast series where we sit with athletes, we talk about just their life with playing sports, their life after, and just reflecting on it to pull out um, just pull out some lessons that hopefully will help them and help those that are listening. Again, we thank you so much for your time and listening. We'll be on the air soon.